you know, uh, you know, just what we need today. But the art is beautiful as well. Um, you know, and, and for those of you out there who aren't familiar with the Girl God series, you should go Google it. Uh, some of the books are, um, uh, you know, you could almost call some of them children's books because they're short. They have, um, you know, pictures on every page, art on every page. Uh, but the message is not really just a message for children. They're messages, um, you know, that we uh, that that we need to hear today. You know, even as adults. And of course, the Girl God series. I uh, interested. Correct me if I'm wrong. It also has a number of anthologies now as well, right? Yeah, we have a mix of things, and I, I did start with um, children's books, and we still do have children's books. One of the reasons I think children's books are so powerful, though, is I started with the first one, The Girl God, um, reading, of course, many of us read to our children night after night after night, same books over and over, and you internalize so many of those messages, and uh, so many of the books, especially now my son is 17, <laughs> Especially back then, the messages were very patriarchal. I think you have better books out there for children now, but um, there weren't as many uh, that I would consider good books then that are or were messages that I would want my children to grow up with. So I actually kind of did always read up to them a bit, and uh, I think probably the children's books are a reflection of that because... I always feel you should talk up to children, not down to them, because I think they're much more intelligent than what we give them credit for. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, it's amazing how slow uh, change happens. And uh, and so much of it does have to, I think, happen at the knee of mothers. You know, mothers have so much power uh, to uh, make their, you know, uh, shape the psyche of their children, uh, you know, and and, you know, with a few generations of mothers who, uh, you know, if we could stop that perpetuation of patriarchy that, that mothers do, um, you know, we could, uh, you know, have a good start on uh, on changing the world. Yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely starts, I think, with our children and then with ourselves. I mean, it is interesting. We talked about this a little bit before we jumped off, but it, I didn't realize that it was Mother's Day when we scheduled this uh, podcast, and I, I half the time I don't know what day it is right now. <laughs> so, um, and then it's not it's not Mother's Day here in Norway, so it wasn't on like my I have my calendar here is in Norwegian. So, um, but I think it's so. Uh, it totally makes sense that we're doing this today um, because it's, yeah, I mean, everything kind of come back, comes back to mother. I mean, even this idea of goddess that, you know, um, mother birthed the entire universe. And, of course, patriarchy came along and made it very abnormal that, you know, God was a man, which is basically, in my opinion, impossible. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to be talking with you tonight. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny how uh, this this really just sort of happens as a coincidence. Um, I see it, uh, you know, happening pretty often, actually. Uh, I don't usually uh, often, you know, schedule topics around holidays necessarily. I mean, sometimes I do, but it's amazing the times that I don't and that the topic just seems uh, to fit. And uh, mm-hmm. and even today, um, 
the Veil of Inanna was the music that I started out with uh, by a, a group out of Las Vegas who I really like. Uh, they have great music. Um, you know, Breath of Passion is a favorite of mine, Nomad's Land. But uh, to today's clip from them, uh, it was Veil of Inanna. And um, Inanna's Ascent uh, kind of plays into uh, today's topic, uh, doesn't it, Trista? Do you want to explain uh, where Inanna fits into uh, the resurrection of uh, female power? Uh, was that one of your anthologies? Yeah, so this um, this was, let's see here, the fifth anthology that we did. And we actually started a book about Anana's descent, and then we were not feeling uh, the energy with the book at all, and we just kind of felt stuck with it. And I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, Tamara, who um, was one of the co-editors along with my mother, Pat, um, she and I were talking one day, and I was like, ah, oh, something is just stuck with this. And then we were thinking, you know what? We're so focused on the descent that we're never getting to the ascent, which is the more important part, you know, of course we all um, reach points in our life that are difficult, which I've had a lot of, but I think in a way, um, and actually Glennon Doyle's new book, Untamed, gets to this a lot, that uh, women are almost kind of encouraged to be perpetually in this bad spot, and it's almost sometimes difficult to identify with other women if they're doing well because there's jealousy or whatever, and sometimes just easier to be in a relationship with women where you're just complaining and like, oh, my life is terrible and da 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 da. But what we should, or I hope we can aspire to, is a process of lifting ourselves out of this muck because I don't think we're meant to stay there forever. I think it's become just so commonplace with the patriarchy that we're kind of um, in a mentality where we think this is just normal and, you know, we should just put up with it and, you know, whatever. But to me, that's not my vision of life for women. I think that we have more powers than we realize. And a lot of times we keep ourselves stuck in this underworld where, you know, I mean, and I've done this. This is, I'm not trying to say, you know, put any women down, but this is kind of my experience that even when my life got so much better, I was so used to living in the underworld that it took me a long time to realize, okay, I'm not there anymore and I don't have to live in hell anymore. I can actually enjoy my life. Well, and, you know, that makes me think about just the idea, uh, and, and, you know, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm oversimplifying this, but just the idea of gratitude, you know, um, I think sometimes we see the glass is half empty uh, more quickly than the glass is half full, and, you know, maybe the idea that's been going around of late, uh, I, I hear and see more people who have realized the benefit of looking for uh, the things in their life to be grateful for, you know, even if it's the birds singing outside, you know, you may have difficulties, but if you focus on the birds singing or, um, you know, beauty, you know, things that um, uh, maybe we, you know, we don't uh, always see uh, in times of challenge or difficulty, uh, maybe in a way that's even uh, even helping us, uh, you know, have more ascension than, um, you know, than dwelling in the underworld, you, you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, um, I don't think it was in this book, but I know 
and probably at least a couple others, I've talked about this when I had a really difficult relationship with my children's father, and then um, I was a single mother. And the way that I kind of got out of it is by just, um, I don't want to say not thinking about it, but I mean, I I was really broke, and I had no money, so I, I would just go to the library and get like 10 books, and then I would go to parks because my house is sort of a dump. I would go to like other beautiful places where I could appreciate things that were wonderful. I mean, because I, I, I think part of the problem is the reality is for a lot of women, their lives are not great, and mine certainly wasn't for a very long time. But I, I kind of want to explain that if you dwell on that, and I hate to sound new agey here, but if you if you dwell on that, that's kind of just what your life just is. Whereas I think if you try to step out of it and, and look at it from a higher point, even if you have to leave your house and go to a museum or, you know, like I always have loved art, finding the beauty wherever you can, even if you can't find it within your own life, I think can really help you kind of dig yourself out. Yeah, and, and that will make sense to the magical practitioners out there because, you know, it's, uh, you know, what you focus on, uh, you know, that's the energy you draw to you. Uh, some say, you know, threefold, some say tenfold. Uh, I know there's a, you know, a, a quote, I don't know where it came from. Uh, I, I think I just, I don't know, saw it on, uh, you know, a, a, you know, some sort of, um uh, pillow or something, uh, you know, what you what you tend to and nurture thrives and what you neglect withers. Now, you know, that that works both ways. You know, if you just, if you focus on the positive, you'll nurture positive, just like you're growing a garden when you tend it and water it, but it, it can work in the reverse. You know, if you're just focused on what you don't have or jealousy or uh, negativity uh, and you don't find a way to see the good then um that's what's gonna that's what's gonna thrive in your life i i i believe as as well trista yeah yeah and i mean and i mean i guess there's a fine line because i never want to blame women for their realities because i i think patriarchy creates structures that are very unfair to women what i've always tried to encourage women to do is I don't know. I always wonder if I could swear on the show, but fuck patriarchy and just say, hey, you know, I'm not going to allow this to overtake me, and I'm going to use every means that I have at my disposal to change my life because I think that yeah, I mean, patriarchy is so good at clipping our wings and make us making us feel like we don't have any power, but I think we do, actually. And that uh, it's the Alice Walker quote, like um, something about the, uh, I can't think how it goes, but basically the the way to keep people disempowered is to make them feel that they don't have any power. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a conditioning, uh, isn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and after a while you start to believe it. Uh, it's like if you, you know, if you hear a lie enough times, uh, you start to believe it. I mean, and I think in advertising, you know, advertising is about manufacturing consent. 
Um, and uh, I think uh, in advertising they say if you hear an ad, I believe it's nine times, uh, even if you don't need it, you don't want it, you are, you know, you are getting to the point where you might succumb uh, to it and decide you do need it, you know. Uh, and I, and I kind of, uh, you know, whether we're listening to the news or, you know, whatever it is we're listening to, um, I, these ideas get cemented. Uh, you know, and become our reality. Well, yeah, and patriarchy has done very well at advertising that women are inferior and in need of, need of saviors. And, um, and you know, they do that very thoroughly, especially through religion. I mean, that's a very thorough indoctrination. Like, the way that I grew up, uh, I think I may take my entire life to fully feel like I've over overcome that complete indoctrination like it still comes back to me it's not like it used to but you know i mean just bible verses coming in my head it's like okay i haven't picked up the bible for 20 years but i still memorize all these verses that like come back to me so it's very thorough yeah, yeah i mean the i yeah the idea that you have to submit you know, and mm-hmm. support your husband in anything he says or does, and uh, you know you're not entitled to rights of your own body. And I mean, it just goes, uh, you know, on, on and on and on. Um, well, um, you know, speak a little bit about uh, Amy Bamel Wilden. Um, I actually don't know her, uh, but uh, you sent me. Uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, we were going to talk about today. Uh, she Apparently she has um, sort of thought out uh, what our world would look like if there were uh, a rebirth of reverence for women in all stages of life. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and I need to apologize because I noticed when I was looking at uh, what I sent you, I cut off the, it's wilding. Um, is her last name. I cut out the G in there. Okay. So, um, she okay. wrote a book, and actually she's working on a second book now on perimenopause, which I'm very excited to read because I'm going through that, and it's a little crazy making. Um, but she wrote a book called Wild and Rise, and uh, it's a really good book. Uh, but there was a quote in there that really captured my attention, and I'll read it. Um, what would our world look like? If there were a rebirth of reverence for women in all stages of life, how would we see ourselves if we were to revive the sacred feminine archetype? Okay. And does she explore that a bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole book is is kind of along those lines. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of kind of turns your whole world view upside down if you look at it from that perspective. I mean, I know that's completely different than... um, how I was raised, certainly, and, and I, I think in talking with you previously, and also in how you were raised. <laughs> true, true, and um, you know, I, I was—I've actually started. To, you know, as we're having this conversation, I was thinking about how different television portrays women now, and oh. I mean, I—I I, I hate to give television such credit, but I am—I I guess credit where credits do, uh, you see so many more able, powerful, empowered women. Now, that's not to say 
you 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 know you don't still see the woman running from the killer and she falls and twists her ankle and she's you know it's it's like the red shirt on Star Trek you know that's the one that's always going to get killed you know they're um you know they're disposable but you know there's so many uh, better role models for women and while we have a long way to go i i i mean look at the the new star wars you know the the last uh, jedi is a is a female um if and it feels like to me that's not just a good message for women but it's also a good message for the males out there as well maybe they won't see um you know women as uh, such vulnerable vulnerable, um, easy pickings, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really watch much TV until uh, I had a tumor about three years ago, and then I started watching a lot of TV and I realized, oh, I kind of like this. But, but I think you're right. Um, I would like to see less violence on TV, uh, but I think we are moving in the right direction with uh, more empowered females, and I would love to get some shows that were more... Uh, goddess-centered in some way. I don't know how they would, would do that, but I think it would be really cool. And I, you can see that with a lot of literature, even mainstream literature, it's getting more and more um, acceptable to bring in the divine feminine, whereas I think before it was sort of like the woo-woo, taboo type of thing. So um, I think TV is, I mean, to be real, a lot of people don't read books or don't read many books uh, anymore. So TV and movies are probably a more... Um, or a better medium, in a way, to to change the collective consciousness quickly. Well, and and uh, Amy's, uh, you know, Amy's theme of how would our, you know, what would our world look like if there were a rebirth of reverence for women in all stages of life. So I kind of go to the idea of uh, the maiden mother crone thing. Um, you know, maidens. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we think of maidens as these vulnerable little girls, um, but, you know, having interviewed some people who, um, you know, translate their own Greek and stuff, it was that that raw sexuality, uh, that energy of the maiden uh, that uh, was really so powerful. And, and, and again, there, there, there is some violence here, obviously, but it makes me think of... Um, uh oh uh the the girl who played in the uh the the vampire mo- uh, television show oh it it was right there and, and uh, i lost it buffy? uh buffy 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 okay. um, i mean i think <laughs> i've never seen yeah, that she but was, i've heard a lot about it <laughs> yeah and i mean and that goes back a long time ago you know that might have been one of the first uh, characters you had that, uh, you know, was this sort of uh, female in her maiden uh, that, you know, was this very powerful, kick-ass, capable um character and then i'm thinking xena now while xena wasn't quite a maiden she wasn't a mother or a crone either but you know um so you know and and the mother you know we always think of mothers as sort of just this giving 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 till she drops character um but i don't know trista you're a mother do you think women are getting better messages about uh you know taking care of themselves and not always be on the the giving side of things yeah actually i think especially 
actually, and now I think it's the number one bestseller, Glennon Doyle's new book, uh, Untamed, uh, gets to that a lot. And I think it's really great. Like her new book and Sue Monk-Kid's new book are doing so well, and they're both like um, dealing with things that I would just love to to just be more mainstream. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased that um, that I think both of those books are doing that right now. Um, I think it's really, really necessary. So what, what were those titles again? So Glennon Doyle's new book, actually I've quoted quite a bit from that, um, it's called Untamed. And she has a really good, uh, I have to put on my reading glasses <laughs> if I can read this. Um, she has, uh, and the other one is Sumat Kids, uh, the book of longing, which is a really beautiful, beautiful book uh, about reimagining if Jesus had a wife. Uh, oh. it's very, it's beautifully written, but it's also just fascinating. Um, okay, this is this gets right into what we we're talking about. This is from the Untamed book by um, Glennon Doyle, and she said, "I burned the memo presenting res- responsible motherhood as martyrdom." I decided that, that the call of motherhood is to become a model, not the martyr. I unbecame a mother slowly dying in her children's name and became a responsible mother, one who shows her children how to fully be alive. Mm. Well, and, and that also goes to what we said earlier. Um, and I didn't realize the conversation was going to go here necessarily, but what mothers teach their children at their knee. You know, I've, I've often thought that... Um, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, if we were going to rewrite her character, instead of being this benign, passive character, uh, she would be a social justice activist that uh, where Jesus learned, uh, you know, his, um, you know, his, his beliefs, you know, I mean, they were, they lived under the yoke of Rome, uh, a huge oppressor. And I can just imagine the stuff that she probably would have said to Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be a great book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and she's, uh, that character is also in the Book of Longings uh, that Sue Monk Kid uh, re-envisioned. So it's a little bit different. I have always had a really hard time with uh, Mary just growing up in the church because I've kind of had this resentment since I left the Church of Christianity and all these passive and submissive roles. Um, And I've had women sort of um, nudging me for the last, I think, about three years about doing an anthology on Mary. So that's one that Monette uh, Chilson, who you've talked with also on the show, but I think you were, uh, well, I think you've been on with her twice on the Lilith Anthology and on her uh, Sophia Rising. But uh, we want to do one on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and one on Mary Magdalene, um, and kind of re-envision what both of those women more likely probably were, because I think the patriarchal narrative, as always, is probably <laughs> not really what the reality was. Right, right. Well, if you do that, please make sure you tell me, because uh, oh, I'd yeah. like to put forth that idea of uh, Mary as the first social justice activist. Well, maybe not the first, obviously, but uh, definitely uh, where Jesus got his um, you know, his values. 
Um, but, yeah, and, you know, I, I felt the same way growing up a Catholic in the South, in the Bible Belt. Um, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, obviously. It wasn't until I broke out of that bubble. I didn't see it when I lived in the bubble. Um, uh-huh. You know, because we, you know, we were, weren't uh, taught to question anything. Uh, but when I got out of there, you know, I really started to realize um, how benign and passive she was, uh, Mary. You know, I'm speaking of uh, Mary, the mother. Um, and also, you know, she could have no sexuality. You know, uh, it, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of the perfect storm. Um, you know, for uh, you know, for devalue, uh, devaluing and marginalizing the female, giving the man all of the power. Um, anyway, uh, you know, it, it again, you know, the idea of patriarchy clipping our wings, as you say. Yeah, uh, Patricia Lynn Riley. I think I can't remember which book of it is. I think it's. Ooh, either in her own words or be full of yourself, but there's a passage in there that she didn't write, but another woman shared reimagining uh, Mary as a rape victim, and it's chilling. I don't even think I could read it. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, I think the way that Mary is portrayed, it is it's just like uh, no control over her life whatsoever. It's just this passive vessel for God. Um and that's not really the role model that I would want my daughter to grow up with. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it would uh, just make her sort of ripe for the pickings, uh, so to speak, you know. Um, now, Mary Daly um, talked about the second coming uh, in terms of a new arrival of uh, female presence. Um, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, are we getting there? Um, you know, uh, how, I, I don't know. I mean, just, uh, where, where are we at? In my opinion, definitely. Yes. I see huge shifts, especially, I think every year we're getting closer and closer. And, you know, I grew up as like a Bible junkie. I would read the Bible like probably a couple hours a day and I was really into the books of and all these, like, uh, what is it? Was it Hal Lindsey, who had all those end-of-the-world books. Um, so, yeah, I really liked that passage by Mary Daly. I liked everything uh, that she wrote, probably. But um, in my opinion, yeah, I think uh, things are really shifting. Um, I think they're harder in some ways. I think that a lot of uh, the open men's hatred for women in some ways is being uh, exposed a lot more. You can see that with Donald Trump. Um, which is is difficult, and I think, uh, you know, like the Me Too movement and uh, all of this has been very triggering in a way, but I think it kind of has to be uncovered, you know, like um, I think a lot of us who have had sexual abuse or rape in their past, um, you know, there's a tendency to want to cover that up and not deal with it, or sometimes even not uh, intentionally, like a lot of times it seems like women in middle age uh, remember a lot of abuse that they, you know, couldn't have dealt with uh, as their younger selves, and then it comes to light as they become stronger. So, in my opinion, even though it's painful, um, it's good that all of this is coming to light now. And I think, uh, and also that we're not, um, I think a lot of times, and I felt this way myself, that we feel, uh, 
that we have to make everyone else comfortable in our family, and especially the men, because, oh, you know, they can't deal with all these stories. I think this is probably the first time that men have heard so many stories and realized how prevalent all of this is, uh, which to me is, is excellent. I think uh, for there to be a change, everything has to come to light. I think men need to kind of realize what yeah. the reality has been. Yeah, I think the statistics, and they may have changed now. This was a statistic I know was out probably five, six uh, years ago. But um, uh, three in five women are penetrated against their will in their lifetime. You know, uh, I mean that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, you have Republicans who say say stuff like, uh, "Well, if you were raped and you get pregnant, that was the will of God." Um, I mean, it's it's amazing to me that such a violation. Um, can be taken so lightly. Um, and, and I don't mean to be crude here, uh, but, I mean, if they were anally raped, um, would they think it was no big deal? <laughs> you know, um, just because, uh, you know, our society says uh, women have a vagina and men have a penis and the penis goes into the vagina and it makes you feel good, uh, gee, does that mean you can just, uh, you know, take it whenever you want it? Uh, I mean, it, it, in that we should love it. Uh, I, I don't know. There was uh, this movie, um, oh, God, came out about 10 years ago. Uh, I think it was called Bite. And it was about a young woman who was raped, and she realized afterwards she had actually grown teeth in her vagina. So anytime someone tried to rape her, uh, she was able to, like, just bite it off. And um, I don't know, there was something so satisfying about that, uh, about that movie. And call me sick, I don't know. But it's just so many years of, of women having to endure so much, it felt like justice. Well, yeah. Um, I think there was some sort of thing going around online, I think it was about seven years ago, about something that you could insert in your vagina that kind of did that same thing. Maybe it was inspired by the movie. I'm not sure. And I, I'm not sure that it ever became a viable option. But um, I think one of the things with the Me Too movement that um, it has been very triggering uh, for a lot of us. But I think it's the first time, and maybe being triggering has allowed women to come forward and really give these graphic details of exactly what happened to them and how damaging it has been for years and years and years. And I think that it's hard to read these stories, but it's very important, especially for men, to read them and wake up and, you know, think about would I want this for my daughter? You know, I think it's been kind of treated very lightly. Rape has been treated just like, yeah, it's a secret thing that happens, but it's somehow not a big deal or something. I just, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's kind of baffling to me, but um, I have seen changes in many of the women or men that I know, and I think that uh, it's been a result of this and finally realizing, like, wow, you know, <laughs> this is the... Uh, well, and, you know, maybe part of this resurrection um, and, uh, you know, is about women 
reclaiming their anger. Um, you know, I and and I know there are a lot of men who have a lot of problem uh, with with uh, female anger. I mean, just a few days ago, I was posting some stuff on my Facebook page about Donald Trump. I mean, who could be a bigger failure in all of these people? Uh, dying because of it. I mean, the mass graves, I, I mean, ad nauseum. I, I, I mean, I, I don't have to repeat the failures. I'm sure if anybody's listening, they they hopefully know if they haven't buried their head in the sand. And then I had this guy on Facebook say, gee, sure have a lot of venom for the president. I mean, I kind of ask myself, how can you not? If you don't, what's wrong with you? you know, kind of a thing. Um, and, and it wasn't that long ago I had a male friend, friend, and I'm using, I'm using air quotes here now, um, a male friend who said, um, you know, I really like you better when you're more ISIS-like than Sekhmet-like. Now, Trista, imagine saying that to a feminist woman. I like you when you're motherly and giving and taking care and being a creatrix, but when you stand up and fight back and have courage and tenacity and strength, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, he's not my friend anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah. it kind of makes me think, what's wrong with these men? Are they such cowards? But I don't think it's um, a coincidence that there's all these books out in the last two years uh, about female rage. Uh, you know, Soraya Shavali's Rage Becomes Her. You have uh, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. You have uh, Good and Mad, uh, Rebecca Traster. Um, and they all came out, like, almost at the same time. Um, and I, I think there's several more. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think women are really getting in touch with this. And, you know, it's not been ladylike to be angry. Um, I didn't really feel comfortable expressing anger until my late 30s. And then I just kind of lost my shit. <laughs> had a little temper tantrum. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had a whole lifetime of rage that I'd never been able to express. So. Yeah. Well, I know grow, growing up in the South, it was about, um, you know, it's almost as if you were a child. Be seen and not heard. Uh, be nice. Um, you know, be hospitable. Um, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But when it's appropriate, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't think, you know, women of our generation were given permission to be angry. Um, it's just we had to stuff it. Um, and, and I'm so glad to see more women are claiming it without guilt or shame because maybe that's part of this ascension, Trista. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, you know, if you think about the consequences of stuffing down all that anger, I mean, that's why you have, you know, cancer. You have so many illnesses that are related to suppressing your emotions. So it's really important to find an outlet. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go with rage all the time, but, I mean, that wouldn't be good for you either. But, you know, like, it really is not to your own benefit when you're angry about something to stuff it down. It will only fester, and eventually you will blow up or get sick. Or, yeah, you know. and, and, well, and, and I think, um, 
you know, there, it, going back to the idea of we have so many more role models. I mean, look, the woman who's heading New Zealand, uh, I don't know if they, I, I, I don't know what they call president oh. or prime minister there. I'm not sure. But, you know, okay. she's led her country to, um, you know, a, a tamping down. I mean, I, I, I don't know that they've obliterated COVID there, but uh, they're certainly in better shape than us. Um, Iceland has a, a, a female president, I believe. Um, uh, it, I, I don't know. I think there are more. We're seeing a lot more women in charge, um, you know, around the world. And um, but, but I wonder with the the rampant sexism here in the United States. I mean, you're in Norway, and, and I would love for you to kind of draw a comparison. Um, I think of Norway as a more evolved place uh, than the United States. I, I think the United States is still backward and ignorant. I'm sorry. Um, and, and But sexism is one of the aspects of that. Um, I mean, what is it like to live in, in a place like Norway? I mean, is it, it? do you see the sexism there that you see here? And do you have female leadership in government there? Yeah, so uh, I actually just posted on this uh, a couple of days ago. It um, You know, I wanted to leave the United States for about 20 years. It took me about 15 years before I finally did it. I've been here five years. It really hit me a few days ago because Norway is getting ready to reopen and, and we're actually ready to reopen here because we've had very uh, good success with uh, managing COVID. And uh, and we, we do have a female uh, prime minister here and she actually is from the right party, although in Norway the right party is not that far right like it is a uh, Republican party uh, in the U.S. Uh, but it really, really hit me hard. I was so proud of our prime minister, who I don't often agree with. I mean, she is kind of a little bit different politically. But it was so uh, wonderful for me as a woman to see a woman leading this and doing so well. I think that she handled this uh, crisis really well. And uh, I think what I posted was it's, like, really hard to even comprehend the psychological effects of having a female leader when you've never had one and coming from a country that I fear may never have one. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it just sort of blew me away how, how much I was affected by it. And also like, uh, when, when everything started and they shut down the schools, she did a press conference just for the children and talked, you know, directly to children, took questions from children about, you know, what their worries were. I mean, Donald Trump would never do something like that. I mean, it's just not something probably that a man would think of. And I think it was just handled so well with so much care and passion. And, you know, I really love that. And, of course, there is still sexism here. Um, uh, and one of, one of my friends, who's also an American, who is a male friend who lives here, um, commented, and I didn't see this part, but he said, but did you see after the press conference with, uh, you know, the questions she was getting and that she was surrounded by men. And, it was, and I was like, yeah, but coming, you know, us American women, I think, are so indoctrinated that we'll take any little scraps we can get and are so happy with them. So uh, I you know, it was like, yeah. don't ruin my moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I'm thinking, you know, there's Angela Merkel too, running Germany. Uh-huh. Um, you uh-huh. know, we, you know, we there's there's a lot more women out there that, um, uh, you know, that make us realize uh, it is possible. Um, 
you know, I, I wonder about uh, it being possible here in the United States, you know, until maybe this uh, current, um, God, I hate to say it this way because I'm, uh, I'm a baby boomer, but it feels like to me uh, this, you know, the older Americans uh, are the ones that are still perpetuating the isms, you know. Uh, the women still need to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I, I mean, I thought we got rid of that with my parents, but um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not so much. Um, men here, I think, still don't see women uh, as, as a leader. Oh, no. No, I don't think they do. So, um, so you know, we were talking about, you know, uh, Amy uh, Bamel Wilding talked about reverence for women in all stages of life. We forgot the crones. Um, I forgot to, you know, talk to you about the crones. Um, um, you know, maybe speak to that a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I know in our community, uh, it's normal for us to honor our elders and the crones. But it's, it, I mean, do you think it's getting better that you know we're honoring, um, you know, the older people in society, or are they still somebody that just has to be warehoused in a nursing home until they die? No, I, I actually think it's getting much worse. I think that uh, women are really encouraged to look young as long as they possibly can and at all costs, which I find very sad. Um, I took care of three of my grandparents while they were dying, and that was actually one of the most re- remarkable experiences of my entire life. Um, and I always kind of equate it to giving birth, like I it, was just so magical to be with them, especially at the moment where they passed over. And I think we're really missing out on this in Western society. Um, and it's the same here. You know, people don't generally take care of the elderly. They go to homes and they're, you know, there's so much wisdom there. There's so much, you know, like um, I actually posted this on Facebook today that my my uh, maternal grandmother passed uh, about 10 years ago. And I still miss her every day. And she comes to me in my dreams. And so I still feel like this very close connection with her. Um, I think when we don't value the crones, we're missing out on so much. And it's sad, really, you know, that they aren't honored because I think they have so much to offer. And I think all of us would be better. Uh, I don't think anyone should die by themselves or (laughs) feeling like they're not uh, valuable anymore. Yeah, and I mean, going back to Hollywood, um, I'm thinking with the exception of maybe maybe like Judy Dench, uh, if I'm saying her last name correctly, I mean, we don't see many older women um, no. in a good light, really. Uh, you know, Hollywood may be doing better with females in general or younger females, but definitely not uh, older females, and uh, you know, they seem to be on the on you know uh, uh, in the forefront of things. I mean, I remember when uh, they started having shows like Glee, um, uh, or um, uh, or the the Witch Show too. I can't remember the name of it now, uh, but they uh, sort of perpetuated the idea that it was okay to be um, a lesbian. Uh, or gay, and suddenly things changed in, in the in society. It, it felt like you know, it's like Hollywood 
you know, sets a tone and then the country kind of follows, you know? Yeah, it would be great to have a, a show, I mean, a show with a Cronish uh, or a group. You know, we used to have the Golden Girls. That was a super fun show. Or I mean, I haven't watched an episode for a long time, but I used to think so. I remember watching that uh, way back when. And uh, I can't think of any shows now, really, where there's it's focused on older women. True. And, and I guess Betty White, uh, she is still kind of a national treasure, but um, uh, but you know, and maybe the fact that it was comedic, um, oh. it, it maybe in a way detracted from their their value in a way. Um, you know, they it wasn't taken seriously. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it was better than nothing. But um, you know, we we need more uh, characters out there. I, I think to see older women in a better uh, in a better light. You know. Um, well, you know, we were talking about uh, Inanna before. Um, uh, you know, obviously what we could learn from her ascent. Um, but, but what do we learn from her her descent, um, Trista? Well, I think um, I've actually just pulled out this book before I got on with you because I was wanted to refresh my memory. I think the descent is something that almost, I, I can't think of any woman who is not familiar with the descent uh, in her own life. Like, no matter how beautiful or wealthy or whatever, I think every woman that I know or has ever really met has had periods of descent and times in her life that she's spent in the underworld. So I think um, what I take away from this story is okay, you're going to be there, that's a part of life. And I think a lot of times we have the fairy tale that we grow up with that, like, life is always going to, you know, especially once we meet our prince, everything's going to be great. And I know I have a friend where, you know, she and I said, I wish people would have prepared us better for being adults and, like, told us, like, it's going to be hard at times and, like, it's not going to be a fairy tale, it's not always going to be great. So to me, the descent story is something that we should be teaching little girls so that they realize that there's always going to be ups and downs in life, and that um, you don't have to stay in the underworld. So that's okay. my takeaway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get that. That makes sense now. Um, well, and and we know goddess myths were subverted by patriarchy. Um, I mean, uh, all we have to do is uh, look at how uh, Hera, you know, becomes the harpy, uh, you know, chasing after her philandering husband. You know, Aphrodite is uh, just the boudoir babe, uh, you know. Um, you know, talk a little bit about you know, goddess myths being subverted versus, um, you know, the case of, of Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Christian story is, it's not really an original story, is it? <laughs> um, and I mean, that could be three different shows getting into that, but... Um, you know, you also have ISIS, and it, the story of Jesus uh, dying on the cross and 
raising from the dead is a is much older, much older story, and not just with Anana, but with uh, probably I don't know how many of the goddesses, but uh, at least several. Well, you you definitely had a lot of uh, dying and rising gods. Uh, you know, Jesus was just. Um, you know, the last in the line, uh, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it, and I and I honestly think, um, you know, the whole idea of Jesus on the cross just conditions us to think sacrifice, uh, you know, and suffering is noble. Um, you know, you get the, you know, you get the ascent, you know, the risen Lord, you know, but um, you don't usually see the ascent um, in goddess myth. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe Persephone, she gets to come out, well, is it once a year or something like that? Yeah. but uh, I, I don't know. You know, maybe that's just another way, uh, you know, patriarchy elevates itself over goddess myth. Um, was that kind of where you were going with that, or was there something else? Yeah, actually, I have a really good quote that I just thought of if I can find it. <laughs> I'm like, I have so many quotes, it's insane, but I, I know I just, uh, I just used it. Um, Uh, well, I might not be able to find it at time. I should have had it prepped. But um, basically, it was a quote that talked about um, uh, Anana. The difference in in her, like she didn't sacrifice herself. Um, oh, I really wish I could find the quote because I love it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's well, that's okay if you don't find it. Um, oh, here it but is. The okay. idea that. Okay, good, good. Go ahead. I, sorry. I just wanted to share this because I think this is perfect uh, in terms of what we were getting to. Um, okay. The goddess Anana, in her role as suffering, exiled feminine, provides an image of the deity who can perhaps carry the suffering and redemption of modern women. Closer to many of us in the Church's Christ, she suggests an archetypal pattern which can give meaning to women's quests one which may supplant the Christian myth for those unable to relate to a masculine God. In Anna's suffering, disrobing, humiliation, flagellation, and death, the stations of her descent, her crucifixion on the underworld's peg, and her resurrection all prefigure Christ's passion and represent perhaps the first known archetypal image of the dying divinity whose sacrifice redeems the wasteland of earth. Not for humankind's sin did Anana sacrifice herself, but for earth's need for life and renewal. She is concerned more with life than with good and evil. Nonetheless, her descent and return provide a model for our own psychological spiritual journeys. Um, I'll just read one more thing. And unlike Christ's story, where the destructive acts perpetrated on, on the Savior were the product of mere human malice and fear, and thus capable of establishing a pattern of human revenge and scapegoating, in the Sumerian poem, they are shown to have had a transverse source. The goddess destroys just as the goddess may redeem. And that's from uh, Sylvia Brinton Pereira, The Descent to the Goddess, A Way of Initiation for Women. So you kind of read that really quick. Um, Can you kind of maybe sum it up? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a different look, like what you were saying, like the Christian myth on the cross. 
uh, with Jesus suffering, it kind of gives this message that, like, oh, it's good to suffer. And I think this is kind of what I was getting at before with with um, with women being kept in the underworld world where we feel that we can't get out or maybe that there's some um, spiritual value in suffering. Whereas I think goddess spirituality is very different. Like I find it to be much more joy-based and it's not so much about bartering yourself or uh, living for the sake of others. I think to live for your own happiness and existence is plenty. And, you know, I kind of have this theory too about joy that it's important to be happy. I think sometimes people think, oh, that's selfish, but people that are happy contribute so much to the world and to people around them. You know, if you're happy, everyone around you is happy. And to me, you're more productive. You, you know, uh, I just don't find that there's a lot of uh, value in being miserable. Well, yeah, and I and uh, also too, you know, if you're, I, I don't know, I think if you're happy, uh, you're less likely to be sick. Uh, you know, the whole idea of dis-ease, uh, you know, uh, dis-ease bringing on, uh, you know, bringing on sickness, um, and you know, and I think it's very telling out there in the world. How often do you hear the powers that be? Um, you know, whether we're talking you know, national level, global level, or even local level, you know, do they ever say to you, well, how's your quality of life? You know, in fact, it's the opposite. You know, we have our president bone spurs, you know, who who never uh, did anything for anybody uh, that, that I'm aware of in his, in his lifetime, you know, uh, says he's got bone spurs and, and can't go to war. Uh, like like you know other average people do. He's he's uh, I don't know if you've seen this over there in Norway, but now his spin is oh go out and face the virus like a warrior, you know. Um, I don't know. It's it's just incredible to me that our uh, our leaders are telling us you know leading us like sheep to the slaughter, um, and we never hear how is your quality of life. You know, it's they expect us to, you know, to be the cannon fodder, to, uh, you know, be the ones that um, sacrifice ourselves, um, you know, for someone else. You know, joy, life affirmation, that never comes into it, it doesn't seem to me. Well, yeah, and I mean, what else really is there? And, you know, I think especially going back to this, you know, Mother's Day, especially mothers are supposed to be like the self-sacrificial lambs that, you know, put themselves last. And, you know, I struggle with this also, that it's so indoctrinated that you kind of have to really work on yourself to say, like, you know, not that I want to be the selfish mother that doesn't take care of my children, but there's there has to be some sort of balance. And in having balance, you're also especially teaching your daughters that it's important for them later to find, or even now, to find joy and not be um, taking care of everyone else. And I also feel, you know, for my son now, too, he has his first uh, girlfriend, that I'm setting a role model for him and for his future partnerships. And also, you know, like, okay, you have to do your chores. You have to do, you know, set boundaries with, with the kids so that they can be productive adults and can go off into the world world and... <coughs> 
succeed and do well and have a happy life. And, you know, if you have, if you raise a son that never has to do chores or do dishes or anything, what's going to happen when he leaves the house? He's going to be, end up being one of these guys who expects his wife and the mother of his children to do everything. So it is, um, I think a lot of these changing of the roles do have to do with uh, motherhood or, or auntiehood. You know, I think aunties are also so important. Uh, grandmothers, all these uh, women can make so much uh, difference in the future of our our world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking of that, you know, I, I must sound like I do nothing but watch television, uh, but a great show just got canceled. Um, the the woman who played in The Sopranos, who played the wife in The Sopranos, and uh, later oh. on she played a really good character, Nurse Jackie. Um, she was the lead role in a show called Tommy, where she it was a, a lesbian feminist who was um, hired to run the LAPD, and uh, I I think the show's been great. Uh, one season, and now it's canceled. And, you know, being who I am, I guess, uh, and having enjoyed the show myself, I couldn't help but think, um, you know, uh, it, maybe there wasn't enough violence in it. Uh, it. You know, maybe it was really more of a woman's show. I don't know, but I felt like there was sexism at play, uh, to be honest, okay. because she certainly has carried other shows. It's not like she's a... Um, you know, she she's a newbie or anything, and um, I was really sorry to see it get canceled. Well, yeah, it seems like shows with violence seem to do better. <laughs> or people expect, yeah. you know, the violence and the sex to be in there. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it's tough. Well, um, one last question I have for you, Trista, and then I'm going to sort of, you know, give you the last word in case there's more to this you wanted to chat about that I didn't think to ask you. I'm just really curious um, what the European press is saying about what's going on here in the United States with the virus. Uh, and I'm also wondering, too, if you've had any thoughts on is the virus going to set us back? Is it going to maybe help us evolve more as humans? Uh, I mean, I, I know that's like asking you to have a crystal ball, but, you know, uh, intuitively, um, you know, what's the world saying about us? And um, uh, do you think this will ultimately be a good thing in the end? Well, to be honest, I spent very little time reading or watching news because I don't feel like it's a productive use of my time. Um, and I, I can get too wrapped up into it. So um, I was the first, the first month I was checking every, my husband was making fun of me because I would do a check every morning, check all the stats in every country. And uh, then I think that kind of almost made me severely depressed. Um, in general, I think it's a little bit embarrassing to be an American in Europe because there's so many stereotypes of Americans and they're generally not great. Um, but, you know, like what we've discussed, like there's a, an Americans in Norway group uh, on Facebook that, you know, people need to understand, like, 
United States is not a small country like Norway. It's a very big country and it's very diverse and people are very different depending on what states or, you know, where they're coming from or different political backgrounds. It's definitely not a monolith. It's very difficult to put all Americans into one group. Uh, I think pretty much universally people think Donald Trump is very insane and scary. Um, but more, maybe more of a joke, I guess, than than even scary would be more ad- ac- accurate. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, <coughs> yeah, I, I try not to think about Donald Trump because I just even just seeing his face makes my head want to explode. Um, in terms of the virus. I don't want to say it's a good thing because I, I think that it has had horrible consequences. I've known several people personally who've had it. Thankfully, they've all survived and are, are doing better now. Um, but it definitely sounds like something I would never want to get and that um, I wouldn't want to make light of, like, saying, oh, yeah, okay, this is going to change the world. But um, I think the slowdown in general has been good for people. I think it's hard economically for a lot of people, so I I can understand that there's a lot of different opinions about um, what the effect has been or will be, depending on uh, if you have economic security or not. It makes a huge difference being in Norway, I will say, because uh, there's so much more social support. Nobody here uh, is suffering to near the extent that people in the U.S. are suffering. Um, You know, my husband is off work. He gets full pay from the state. um, So you don't have, uh, and you don't have gaps in that. So, I mean, everything is still smooth here. Whereas in the U.S., I think there's so many people that are really freaked out. And, you know, um, economic stress to me is one of the most horrific types of stress because when you're worried about money, you can't really even think about anything else. I mean, I've been there so many times, especially when I was a single mom. Like, you know, if you if you don't know how you're going to feed your kids, you can't you can't really do anything. It just becomes your entire fixation on life. So I think uh, the, the economic situation in the U.S. is quite frightening, and of course that will have implications for the rest of the world. So it's hard for me to say. I mean, I want to say that I think it will be a good thing, but at the same time, I know I have an economics background that we're probably looking at some hard times financially, probably maybe a recession, uh, and that's going to be tough, really tough. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I I recently wrote an article for the Feminism and Religion blog, uh, and it was about, uh, it it was sort of comparing the Black Plague of medieval times Mm -hmm. to uh, coronavirus, and uh, a friend of mine actually pointed out to me, uh, she'd taken one of these great courses classes that's out there, Uh, she'd taken it on the Black Plague, and I didn't know this until she shared it, uh, but there were so many things, good things, positive things that came out of the Black Plague, um, mm-hmm. humanism, the end, end of feudalism, uh, uh, just, a, a, you know, the middle class was born because, you know, 
know, the people on the low end of the totem pole and feudalism realized they had a skill and they weren't going to go back to the way it was. And, you know, there's an, there's an assortment of things. Uh, people can Google it if they're interested. And I don't know. I, 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 I agree with everything you said, absolutely everything you said. Um, and I'm sort of holding on to the idea that this, too, will uh, bring about positive change. I mean, people, uh, white people, are already saying in mass numbers how this is disproportionately affecting uh, the poor and African Americans uh-huh. particularly. Uh, you know, they're already talking about the people who have been marginalized in society who make next to nothing are the ones we're relying on to eat. You know, the truck drivers, the people stocking uh, groceries at the grocery store, the cashiers. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I hope, oh, and, and also, too, the fact that we don't have Medicare for all, you know, and, uh-huh. and the Republicans are in the process of trying to further, uh, you know, uh, dismantle or obliterate Obamacare. Um, I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, the insanity of it um, is just crazy, and I can't help but think um this will all you know it it, it like it's um shed light on all the disparities on all uh-huh. the areas of society that were broken and it's like you can't wear blinders anymore i mean we have um i don't know if you're seeing it over there but uh food banks have cores lined up for miles because you know people don't have food to eat you know they're out of money and we don't even know if they're going to approve another stimulus i know the first check they um, they gave to the average person uh, of course they took care of the big corporations first they didn't have any problems getting their money it took me six weeks to get the first check trista i mean if i was desperate um, who knows what might have happened? You know, I would have been in line at, you know, in a car every day going to the food bank too. So I, I don't know. I just really do hope that, um, you know, we have really positive changes. You know, maybe this will prove that we need unions to come back, uh, that we need manufacturing here in the United States so we don't have to rely on another country to provide uh, PPE. I, you know, there's so many things I think this is exposing. And I don't know, I'm just hopeful that on the other side of this, um, you know, not that there, there hasn't been an incredible amount of collateral damage, but maybe on the other side of this, really good things will come of it. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess one would be, you know, we have to have a way to um, curtail someone who's insane in the White House. You know, um, there, there's got to be more levers of power that can shut down somebody like uh, Trump, who is, you know, he's like Nero fiddling while Rome burned, you know. Um, anyway, that, that, that's my thoughts. Um, but yeah. you know, thank you well, for your in, insights. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing. I mean, I think it's completely inhumane that there isn't health care for everyone in the U.S., and that is another huge difference, of course, being here. But I, I hope that, and I hope it doesn't have to get too bad for this to happen, but one of my frustrations living in the U.S. and why I wanted to leave is I felt like so many people were so complacent. You know, I, would, I had my kids out at protests, and, 
you know, I tried to do everything within my means to change things, and then I kind of felt like, okay, <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to change, and I, I just don't really want to live here anymore. But I hope that maybe this will be a tipping point where it gets to a point where people are like, we do not have to live this way. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people know this about Norway, but it wasn't always like this here. People demanded the changes that created the Norwegian state. And I think, you know, people say, well, the U.S. is much bigger. But, you know, I guess I'm a dreamer, but I always have hoped that things can change in the U.S. If enough people rise up and say, hey, we have to have this and things have to change, I think they will. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not fair that uh, some people are a paycheck or two away from living in the street and other people, uh, you know, have more income than 50% of the population. I mean, the disparity mm-hmm. is just obscene. And, you know, we just can't keep accepting these things as normal. You know, it's abuse. You know, it's abuse mm-hmm. and exploitation. Uh, but, you know, I'm seeing a lot of memes on Facebook to this effect now that I didn't used to see before. Um, you know, stuff about, um, well, isn't it clear now you are the ones making the billionaires their money? Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't making their money. You're making their money. Um, you know, there's a hashtag, um, you know, uh, no more dying for dollars. Um, greed is a disease. Uh, you know, and I've been I've been pushing a lot of them because you know I really do believe greed is a disease, and until we mm-hmm. start to think of it that way, uh, we won't um, we won't uh, get rid of it. I mean, it used to be one of the seven deadly sins. You know, we forgot that. <laughs> we were just looking um, up the deadly seven deadly sins at dinner tonight. <laughs> we couldn't remember what <laughs> one of them was. <laughs> Well, Trista, um, I, I want to thank you for your time today. And uh, was there anything else on the subject of resurrection of female power you wanted to say, um, you know, that I didn't think to ask you? Oh, yeah, no. I think, I mean, there's there's always so much more, but hopefully kind of got in. I think we, we uh, got a little bit sidetracked on other things, which is so easy to do because it's the... Uh, yeah, there's there's always so much to talk about with you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Trista. I, I enjoy talking to you, too. Uh, look, to be honest, uh, there are not a lot of people in my life that I can have these conversations with. So uh, I, uh, I I appreciate you uh, immensely. And thank you so much for your Girl Guide, um, this series, because it's so important that we have this kind of new storytelling, you know, to give ourselves the permission to imagine a different world. And, uh, you know, until we can imagine it and envision it, uh, you know, we can't make it a reality. So thank you for, you know, your part in uh, planting so many seeds. Well, thank you, Karen, for all your amazing books, too. So I think everyone should go out and buy one in support of you today. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, and the Girl God series as well. Uh, so, anyway, all right. Well, Trista, thank you, thank you very much. I hope your family stays safe and healthy, and um, you know, let's keep in touch. I know you have another anthology you're working on uh, about ISIS. I think it's called The Wings of ISIS. Uh, I look forward to that one coming out because you know ISIS is my girl. Yeah, and you're in that one. 
everyone should check that out. Yeah. And also, another, and, I was going to say, my favorite book of yours is Sacred Places of Goddess. So if you don't have that one, everyone uh, should have that book. Well, and, you know, and I'll just say it, the publisher is thinking about, um, I don't know, what's the term when it's no longer available? He's, uh, I forget, there's a publishing term. Uh, he's oh. thinking about um, putting an end to it. And uh, so if anybody was wanting to get it, they better get it quick uh, because I don't know how long it's going to be out there. And, uh, and thank you for that. I still believe there's nothing like it between two covers. Um, and um, while I would love to have a shot at rewriting it, you know, there, there's a lot of sections of the book that, you know, I'm a better writer now. <laughs> you know how that is. You know, you wish you could go yeah. back and redo it. Um, you know, I'd love to do a second edition or something, but, um, yeah, it might not be around but too much longer. I pull that longer, one out all so, the time. Um, I mean, it's a really great resource. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Well, that about does it for us for today. Uh, thank you so much for staying a little bit late, Trista. And, um, you know, let's definitely keep in touch. I think you're going to be back in June or July. I forget. I think we're going to talk about, um, I don't know, maybe it's Medusa. Medusa. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about Medusa. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, God, you know, wouldn't you love to have a hair of snakes and walk into the White House? Ah! Well, you know, anyway, uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this artist, Laura Grain. She does beautiful masks of the goddess. Uh, she has a whole, uh, you should have her on your show, beautiful masks. It's called the Mask of the Goddess Project. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Um, she does masks, and she has a Medusa mask. So I told her, one day, I want you to design a Medusa mask for me. That's on my dream wish list. <laughs> So that would well, be we so should cool look if we had a bunch of Medusa storm the White House. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, I love that idea. I love that idea. As we will it, so shall it be. Uh, but I do know Lauren Rain. I'm so glad you gave her a plug. I actually have an Isis headpiece um, oh. from her, uh, but I have not, not seen her Medusa ones. I'm going to have to go online and look for her. Oh, Lauren the Rain. Isis the um, Isis anthology, so... Oh, cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, Trista, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank Thank you you for everything. Okay. Okay, happy and happy Mother's Day again. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Well, that about does it uh, for me, everyone. Uh, Thank you for tuning in today. Um, If you're uh, a mother out there, if you are a creatrix, uh, please enjoy your day. Um, Find joy today. Find beauty. Uh, Look for something to make your quality of life better, even if it's going to take a bubble bath or listen to some great music. uh, I'm sure most of us can manage that. Um, Thank you, thank you uh, for tuning in. I will be back uh, with you again next week. Uh, Remember, click the follow button, and then you don't have to keep track of my somewhat erratic schedule right now. Uh, But pretty soon I'm going to be getting back to having the show uh, on Wednesdays at 11 uh, because the factors that messed up my schedule uh, are no longer in effect. So anyway, uh, that's all for me. Uh, Have a great day, and if you're an Outlander fan, wow, can't wait until tonight's season finale. But then it's the Droughtlander. <sighs> Maybe I'll actually start picking up the books. All right. 
thank you, dear friends. Uh, remember what you, uh, what you what you tend to and nurture, it thrives. What you neglect withers. So be very careful where you put your energy. And may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Bye-bye.